Welcome to the Leading with Vulnerability podcast. I'm your host, Yuma Barnett, and today my guest is Chaplain Eric Alfson. I've known Chaplain, uh, the Chaplain for a while now, back to 175 before I jetted off to Australia. Um, he was a chaplain there for a few years, and then he came up to regiment, was a regimental chaplain. He's been in various other special operations positions overseas as the task force chaplain. I know he's got a great story. He tells a great story. Um, I'm just honored to have him on here as he starts uh, his transition out of the regiment, and we'll get into that. But uh, I'll hand it over to Eric to introduce himself, and then we'll get into the conversation. Yeah, absolutely, Yuma. Thank you for, uh, for, for having me out here, you and Kate, to your beautiful home, and for uh, allowing me to come and be a part of this podcast. I was telling my wife yesterday, like, this is awesome because, like, it's going to go viral, you know, <laughs> and then I will have, like, gotten in on the ground floor. So I um, really appreciate it. Um, so let's uh, let's take it back. What's your origin story? Where where are you from? What what, what were you like as a kid pre pre chaplain time? Uh, okay, yeah, I I don't have a, I don't have like a great origin story, you know. But I, I grew up in the Bay Area of California in San Francisco. It's not a lot of Rangers I'm from a huge the Bay 49ers Area. Forty Niners fan. Well, I I, so. I you could the lights from Candlestick could uh, could be seen from our windows. That's actually, amazing. Yeah. I got chills just thinking. Yeah, about absolutely. That. Those are some great years too in my childhood. Oh, you know, awesome. back with uh, the. Uh, Joe Montana, you know Jerry Rice, Ronnie Lott era. Those uh, you know some fond memories. Yeah. But um, yeah, my dad was a marine engineer, and uh, that afforded us the opportunity to travel quite a bit, mostly in East Asia. Spent time in Hong Kong, in China, Japan, Korea, Taiwan. So I got to see a lot of the world as oh, a yeah. kid growing up. Um, I, I had absolutely no idea that one day I would be in the army. If anything, I thought I wanted to be a naval officer. Couldn't have anticipated this life at all. Uh, that's amazing. So. I know I've known you for a while. Never knew you from San Francisco. Didn't, didn't know that tie. You know, my first Super Bowl I watched was the the Broncos Niners. Yeah, and uh, I just kind of latched to them. You know, and everybody else in my family is the diehard Cowboys fans or Red. So I'm like a complete opposite. You know, over there the San Francisco voice. That's awesome to learn that about you. So I want to ask a couple questions before we go on that uh, that aren't on the script, right? So, Marine father. Marine engineer. Marine, he, yeah, he but Marine, on, Marine's the primary word. What was it like having a Marine in the house? No, no, no I'm, yeah. Uh, Marine engineer is in, he, he, would he, oh, uh, Marine, like merchant a, Marine. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah yeah. 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 So like worked for, so like during the Vietnam war, he, he worked for military sea lift command. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So he worked on cargo ships, oh, large, a whole, like a whole other world of, of stuff. That, yeah. You know, that's a whole other part of like conflict. That it sometimes is. we don't realize absolutely the, the support cast that goes on absolutely you say marine i automatically go yeah. there because you know 21 years in the service yeah no so if, if you think of like u.s transcom being yeah. the the you know the functional combatant command that controls movement across the globe um and uh and and the for the army the surface yeah. distribution command that moves stuff but that's really what he did he, he was a he was the engineer a chief engineer on like a thousand foot container ship yeah um but before that you know had had um, again, de deployed to Vietnam multiple times. That's, a, that's and, uh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's an interesting thought. A lot of people think that you're, when you're in the military, only in the military, that's when you're, you grew up kind of a military lifestyle, moving around a lot yeah. in different places. Outside, Seeing outside lots of, of places. Of, yeah. yeah. He was, so he, I mean, he, I think maybe my dad's life gave some normalcy to our life, yeah. right? Cause he would go to work for six months yeah. and then you come home for six months, yeah. you know, and sometimes we get to go with him and get to travel, or, awesome. or, you know, go, go work somewhere well, in another country. Well, so well, what a, that's a great way to, way to grow up and get fresh perspectives that I'm sure helped you out as you decided to join the army, Yeah, become a chaplain. What, what led you down that path? What was your, yeah, your to be moment? a chaplain. Yeah. yeah that's so 
at, at the end of high school, I had taken a year off and I, I'd spent a year in kind of like a church internship program, really like doing missions, missions trips and service trips um, as a gap year before college and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and it, it was in that year that I felt a calling to vocational ministry. Um, I, I did think I wanted to be a naval officer before that, but uh, uh, that that calling to ministry threw a wrench in some things. So I had this this great uncle that was a minister. He was the only uh, clergy in our family, and he'd been on like the alumni board of or something of this very small, obscure Bible college, this undergraduate institution that trained pastors and ministers. So I saw him at this family reunion uh, that summer, late that summer, and it was very late in the year, like people were getting ready to go to college like yeah. three weeks later. Uh, and he said, you should go to central Bible college in Springfield, Missouri, and I can help. Right. And so, um, so I applied to the school I got in, I thought it was a miracle. Later I found out that's just how they rolled. Right. I mean, if you had a pulse and, <laughs> yeah. and you could get financial aid, you get into school. Right. Yeah, so yeah. I wound up in Southern Missouri in the Ozarks, uh, you know, coming from California, that was, was quite a say, culture yeah. shift that yeah. was bigger than going to Hong Kong. So, uh, I can imagine. yeah. So it, it's now a part of Evangel university in, in Springfield, Missouri. But, um, you know, this school had a volunteer service requirement for all students. Okay. So, so uh, they called it a Christian service requirement, but every student had to spend X amount of hours every semester volunteering somewhere. So it could be an after school program, local homeless shelter, a church, something like that. And they had various teams that would go out into the community and do and, uh, and volunteer and do service. So they had one team that would go up to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri on Saturdays and they would go to the reception button. Do you remember going to the AG battalion oh, when yeah, you first absolutely. got to Fort Benning? Yes. Right. And so like, it, it's like the place that they hand you your uniform. Yep. They like shave, shave your, your head. head. Yeah. yeah you, you give you a bunch of shots and you realize like you just made the worst mistake of your life that you can't get out of, you <laughs> know? Right. So, so they would go to this reception battalion and, uh, and they would do this like USO coffee house type ministry where they'd like play some music and do some skits and, uh, share a testimony or experience or something like that. So this was my first exposure to the army it was like, I need to volunteer somewhere yeah. there's a team that goes up to fort leonard Wood and does this and uh and so the on-call duty chaplain for the installation this guy would come and he would have to supervise this thing these random college kids were like running for the garrison it was a, a ministry of the garrison chaplain's office so there was a guy who basically volunteered to take it on every weekend instead of leaving it to the on-call duty chaplain and uh and, and his name was was chaplain tom wheatley oh. so so tom wheatley was a ranger qualified chaplain he'd also been the third ranger battalion chaplain he'd also been the ranger school chaplain and a, a lot of rangers knew him from uh from artb because there used to only be one chaplain there yep so so chaplain wheatley pulled me and another friend of mine in when we were like you know juniors in college invited us to come spend time with them uh up at fort leonard wood during the week and he really mentored us towards the chaplaincy chaplaincy and i think that really he is one of the reasons um, that I'm here. And certainly for me, I think he was an example of what a chaplain was. And he was really my only example, right? You know, I yeah. thought, Hey, that's what you do. You get on active duty, you go to ranger school and eventually you go to the ranger regiment. Right. Yeah. Uh, I had another good example, <laughs> a wonderful man and mentor that was my endorser, my church's head chaplain. He'd retired well before I came on active duty, but chaplain Scott McChrystal, um, that's Stan McChrystal's brother, yeah. former RCO. Familiar and, name yeah, for those and, listening. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And then Colonel Rob, Rob McChrystal, the former chief yeah. commander, it's actually his dad. Oh, um, really? Yeah. So Chapman Crystal was my endorser and he was a prior service infantry officer and, uh, and was ranger qualified. So I just assumed like all chaplains should go to ranger school. Right. <laughs> that made sense to me. Uh, you know, so I, I pastored and worked in civilian ministry in the nonprofit sector for some time after seminary before coming on active duty. 
And, uh, you know, I, I remember writing down those three preferences, you know, like, yeah. where do you want to go? Instead of locations, we said the 82nd Airborne Division, the 101st Airborne Division, or the 10th Mountain Division. And, uh, you know, got assigned to the 101st and ended up going to 3rd Brigade 101 and spent uh, over four years there deploying two times to oh, Afghanistan yeah. with them. Well, that's uh, quite a story. And it's funny how the soft community we are more intertwined than you will realize because you're saying names there like Wheatley and McChrystal. And it's funny how it's a small community. You know, it's you're going to bump into somebody that, you know, or any, any corner you turn, you never know who you're going to bump into. So as a chaplain, you're coming on the leading with vulnerability podcast. Vulnerability is part of what you do. You deal with it. You have to, you've been in some vulnerable moments and part of other people's vulnerable moments. So what's, what's your definition of vulnerability? How do you see it? Yeah, that's a, a, a good question that I like that you're asking everybody. And I have to say that I, I love the title of this podcast. Uh, and I, I like the theme a lot that you're building on. Um, vulnerability is, as you've already pointed out in the, your previous episodes, um, is often confused with weakness, yeah. right? And I think in our community, that that's true. Um, but vulnerability and leadership and relationships, it, it doesn't mean fragility. Right. It means authenticity. Uh, so it, instead of protecting our image that we're, we're willing to be real with people, which builds trust, right? right. And, and trust is the bedrock. That's the foundation. That, that's where mission command is built, you know, mutual trust. That's, that's what we build authenticity through and the ability to express, to expose in, in our words and our behavior who we really are and what we genuinely think and feel uh, is a powerful tool. I agree. And you're right. Our community, we, we wouldn't readily embrace vulnerability, but we do it inadvertently or subconsciously a lot more than we realize and it humanizes us i think and makes us better leaders. you're right and it, it's 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 going to be more important i think even in the future you know our, our team has spent a lot of time thinking and studying generational shifts yeah so the, the range regiment is an interesting point in history you know as as we uh, look to the future but we also recognize generationally that, that we're kind of at this this uh, crossroads where there are three generations of of, of uh, service members in our formation right gen x Gen Y are millennials and then Gen Z, right? Our senior leaders are Gen Xers. You know, our sergeants majors from yeah. our first sergeants, these are Gen Xers. Uh, the, the rest, the majority of the formation are millennials, but our youngest rangers are, are, are Gen Z, right? They're, they're, they're the, the, the next generation. And, uh, and most research points to the fact that what they desire more than anything is authenticity, yeah. somebody to be real. And I think that we've got to be vulnerable in order to lead them well. Yeah, to be real and be your... True self, you got to be vulnerable. That is true. And then, so moving back into the the, uh, the chaplain portion. So, you know, you think of any, you know, preacher or minister on the civilian side, they go to their congregation, that congregation kind of rallies around them. You know, they're all believers. It's not necessarily that way on the army side. Sometimes we run and hide, to be honest, when the chaplain's coming to the outstation, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, and we're a younger population. We're, we're finding our faith. We're, you know, retracting from our faith. We're moving back to our faith. We can be a rough, rough crowd. We're a diverse crowd coming from many backgrounds, denominations. What's it like being a, a chaplain in soft? You know, that's, I mean, that's gotta be, a, you've got to have some great stories there. Yeah. Probably some that we shouldn't tell for a few more years. Right. Absolutely, but, yeah. but the, the Certainly the best job I've ever had, you know, serving in this organization. Seven years connected to the Ranger Regiment. Um, I had a, a one-year gap there at the Command and General Staff College, but I felt like I was really just on sabbatical because I was already coming back to the regiment afterwards, you know. So I, I would say that the thing that I love about being a Ranger chaplain is that Rangers absolutely value 
their chaplains and their religious affairs specialists. Yeah. Uh, and my credibility as a chaplain in the organization, it, it didn't come from me. It came from the hard work of chaplains who came before them, right? And right. so we've often said that we stand on the shoulders of giants, you know, chaplains that you knew, chaplains like Steve Barry, Tom Soljum, Dave Bolas, Mark Winton. Mark Winton the, yeah. Those guys built the credibility for us. They created room for us, and they gave us a seat at the table. Um, and that's that's what being a you know being a part of the the Ranger Regiment as a chaplain is like. And it's really amazing because everybody here is a Ranger, and this yeah. applies to this applies to every low density uh, yeah. officer in MOS, right? And that's different, I would say, than other soft formations. That's right. different than Special Forces, and I and I love Special Forces formations, but it, but it's a different dynamic because their chaplains wear a different color hat and whether they like it or not, it causes a divide. Yeah. There's the haves and the have nots. Literally a different color. Hat. Literally different. <laughs> yeah. You know, a story, and this isn't, this, this isn't indicative of everybody, but um, I remember running a ramp ceremony at Bagram for, for a uh, fallen green beret um, for the special operations task force. Um, and uh, their, their chaplain was out doing battlefield circulation. And uh, th- this uh, service member, this green beret had, had previously been in the headquarters, uh, detachment. So he had a lot of relationships and friendships um, with non-Green Berets that were in that headquarters formation. Um, so there were a lot of people that were kind of rocked and shaken by this this loss. And so the the uh, the op sergeant major from that battalion was out there like lining their dudes up and putting them in formation. You know, for the, as we prepared for this ramp ceremony to which which is a you know a, a sacred moment where yeah, we carry absolutely. the remains of our fallen and we place them on the aircraft that's going to take them home and back to the states and back to their family and eventually back to Dover. Um, but I won't forget this like opsar major get, getting out there in front of his formation, tell everybody put their berets on, um, which we don't normally do because we're on an airfield, right? Yeah, and that's right. kind of weird. Um, and yeah. so, so uh, and then and then giving the instruction, he said, if you don't have a green beret, get to the back of the formation. Oh yeah. Right. He's like, if you don't have a green beret, get to the back of the formation. But the problem was the people that were in the front of the formation were. had maroon berets and they were the people the that knew closest them. to them. They were the people that knew them. They were the people who were affected. They were the ones who were grieving. And so there's this divide right between the haves yeah. and the have nots. And I've spent a lot of time deployed with ODAs. I, I love 18 series leaders, but, um, but what I love about the Ranger regiment is it doesn't matter if you're an 88 Mike or 42 alpha right? You were a ranger. Yeah. Everybody wears a tambourine. And that, I think that was apparent my first days in the ranger regiment, we were doing like an Idri, you know, with the, with with the staff and doing a joint forcible entry exercise. And I realized like, I've got to shoot on this manifest (laughs) and I'm like looking at the, you know, the, 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 uh, the SOP, you know, for like uh, a real world scenario. And I realized like, I'm going to jump into combat, like wherever (laughs) we're going, you know, like I don't have to like fight for my seat to get on this thing, you know? Um, and and that's awesome. It it was also clear to me back then how easy it was to get on target. Target, you know, like yeah. there, there, there may have been places we found ourselves and maybe we didn't need to be, but there was like nobody stopping us from yeah. going, you know, because yeah. like he's a ranger, right? He's yeah. good. And so we lived through a few gunfights, um, you know, with some great yeah. human beings because of that, you know, because of the access we had. Yeah. 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 That's, uh, that's, that's great stuff. Yeah. You know, I, it's, I just can't imagine sometimes the, you know, those names you mentioned, those are legends in the, and I want to say legendary chaplains, but not some just legendary rangers. Some Absolutely, you know, Mark, legendary rangers. Mark Winton is still doing great things, and you know he married Kate and I. So uh, it's good to think back to those. And I've always had fond memories, mostly of our, of our chaplains. Uh, and uh, I, I know you've enjoyed your last 
year, few years in the soft community. It, it, I mean, you're right. It's a man. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to to pastor your heroes, yeah, and to care for their their families. You know, to care for them and in, in those, um, you know, and those highs and those lows of their lives. You know, um, yeah. But the uh, answering the question, you know, about being a ranger chaplain and people being. Um, you know, a, a challenge. I think the Rangers are a little rough around the edges. We'd be lying if yeah. we if we uh, if we didn't say that, right? There, right. there's a few hoodlums and brigands that yeah. make their way through, through there, right? Yeah. You know, you learn this by taking single Rangers on like retreats. Yeah. You know, like it doesn't matter where you go or how far in the woods you are, they will like walk to find this local strip club, right? <laughs> you know, like took some guys on a singles retreat and they like walked like four and a half miles in the snow on a ski trip. <laughs> To find uh, like you know the the strip club in the li- mountains of North Carolina lies. These are all lies. I've yeah. never been to a strip club. No, That's nobody has. Is, but right. you know, but at the end, at the end of the day, as a chaplain here, you know, you're afforded opportunity to share hardship and experience yeah. with people. Yeah. And to walk a mile in their shoes, you know, bear yeah, bear their burdens and share their joy, and that's been the the greatest privilege. So, how, what year did you come in the in the army? Uh, I came in the army in 2008. Okay, so yeah, obviously post 9/11. So you came in at kind of a height. Uh, uh, Afghanistan was pretty hot at, at that time. A lot going on. Yeah, uh, you, and yeah, deployed almost right away to Eastern Afghanistan, and uh, that was it. Man, that was a different era, yeah. right? Like when it's, a lot of us spent a lot of time thinking about Afghanistan lately, yeah, you know, absolutely. and thinking about that that my first two years in Afghanistan and remote parts of the country that nobody cared about except for us, you know, and we lived in dirt cops, you know, which were really just district centers, you yeah. know, platoons spread across district centers, partnered with you know, local police or whoever, you know, and, yeah. uh, yeah, but, but, um, um, came in the army in 2008. Um, and like I said, went to th- the rock sons through third oh, battalion, yeah. 187 infantry. And, uh, um, you know, that was th- those fir- first two deployments were certainly formative for me. And, uh, and it was certainly a different experience than my later deployments, um, with the task force, you know, as you're, you're located, like I said, in these district centers, these small partner force forces, like you really got to experience Afghanistan, yeah, the Afghan experience. Absolutely. And, and I, I don't know that we always understood Afghans, right? Because the, the, the gap in culture is massive. The gap in thinking and in values, it's massive. Um, but I certainly was comfortable with them and I was comfortable being around them and I sought to understand them. I think that was a lot different when I got here, you know, where we were really good at getting on target, but we didn't necessarily like understand yeah. the environment. I remember the first rod I was on with 175, you know, and I remember like team leader calling up like, hey, hey, there's a bunch of kids over here, you know, like they're, they're coming to watch us and they got a bunch of sheep and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, yeah man, it's Afghanistan in the daylight. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. it's that's just what, a Tuesday. Yeah. In Afghanistan, right? <laughs> like, that's what they do here. You know, they walk yeah. around and they look at you. you yeah. Know? That's funny. So uh, all that time, how do the end, all you know is conflict really. And as we're coming out of conflict, mm-hmm. how was it being a, cha- like you had a, a lot of growing up to do as a chaplain and had to, you were thrust right into some hard situations. I'm sure. How did that set you up for success? as you've carried on your, your career as a chaplain in, in the organization? Yeah, there's certainly some, some hard days and, uh, but some great moments as yeah. well, you know? And, uh, um, I, I think that, uh, certainly learned a lot, grew a lot during that time. You know, like I said, we lived through a few gunfights, but ma- mainly the people you get to do it with, yeah, right? Absolutely. Just some great human beings, yeah, absolutely. G- guys that were just calm as a cucumber, right? No excitement in the middle of a crisis, you know, Adam Nash, 
Master Sergeant Kurt Donaldson, you know, Sergeant Chris Clappin, Josh Peterson, Pat Hartung, Mike Norton, Josh Jacobs, you know, the, the great privilege was really to be a pastor, like I said, to our heroes, you know, and, uh, and I I think that's what set me up for success. It was building relationships with, with leaders and NCOs, um, who, who taught me and who I learned from as I was able to pastor them and their families. Yeah. That's right. Again, it's I get chills when you mention those names because of I I can remember when they were master sergeant or sergeant first class, and now you got you know there some are regimental sergeant majors, battalion sergeant majors. It's 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 fun to watch people grow. It is through the military. Yeah, it's, and just to it's be, awesome. Be part of that is a, it's a great it's a gift. It's a, probably the best way to put it. So all your time in uniform. How's that affected you as not a ranger but a husband and a father? And, and a leader, you know, and what effects have all those deployments had on your family? Or I know for me, it missed a lot of times, but I also made sure I valued the time that I did, did have. What some of the stories yeah, and perspectives of, you have. Effects um, of, of all these experiences. You know, in the Chaplain Corps, we say that we have three core competencies, and, and those are nurture the living, care for the wounded and to honor the fallen, nurture the living, care for the wounded, honor the fallen. And I, I've had the privilege to do all of those um, in, in combat and in garrison, you know, to, for me, it means representing God in, in, in times of joy, but also times of sorrow and despair and pain. Um, and from my uh, faith tradition, you know, that, that means being Jesus with skin on to other people. And this comes from an idea in the new Testament in John one, where, um, where John says that Jesus became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. But then Paul takes this statement in first Corinthians 12. And he says, now, now we are the body of Christ. That what he's saying is we are the talking, walking representation of Jesus for our generation. And I think for me, that's what being a chaplain is. It's offering a, a humble and respectful and a caring presence. And it means living out my faith, um, but providing for all faiths, ensuring for the free yeah. exercise of religion, you know, and I, I love that. I love that. I love that uh, the, the opportunity to do that, and it really is a sacred calling, um, and and something that I will cherish for the rest of my life. But there, you know, there have been crazy moments. You know, yeah. there have been some some hard days and some good days. Yeah, I want to dig in a little more on that. So, across all faiths, what's that like? Yeah, well, I, I you know, this is often. Uh, something people assume is hard, like is hard or must be a conflict. Like you're a Christian minister. How could you um, provide for everyone? And I I think like, no, this is really, really easy. Like this makes complete sense to us, right? Because all all of us are constitutionalists, right? All of us believe in supporting and defending the constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And, and so part of the constitution means ensuring that every person in our formation has the ability to practice and to live out their faith and their values. And so it doesn't mean that I perform for everyone because that's disingenuous, right? I can't, I'm not a Catholic priest. I can't lead a mass. Right. Um, right? I'm not an imam. I I can't leave Juma. I can't leave Friday prayers, right? Like that'd be inauthentic. Right. Um, But I can provide for that person. I can ensure that they have access to the resources that they need or to religious leaders that they need. I can coordinate for them. We can take care of them. We can resource them. And and that's really what it means. We can also advise commanders. We provide religious support, but we advise commanders on how to take care of their rangers. Um, so it's really not hard at all. It's pretty easy and it's kind of, it's rewarding. Yeah. And by ensuring their free exercise of religion, I also ensure my own. Your own, you're right. That's a great perspective because I think you're right. I've, I've had, I've wondered before how you do it across, but then that, when I, when I change it and I just think, 
you know, when I was a Delta company first, I'm not a mortarman. I'm not a TSE guy. I'm not a sniper, but I can facilitate and make sure that they had what they needed. You know, I knew to where to put myself with points of friction. It's, it's the same thing. It's just, you're doing it in a, in a different, in a different vein, you know? So yeah, that's, and that's, that, that's yeah. how we minister to yeah. them, right? It's by helping meet their needs. And yeah. Sometimes the need is, is still a pastoral need. Sometimes it's for presence. Sometimes it's for counseling. Sometimes it's to, to, you know, to hold somebody's hand when they're hurt, you yeah. know, to be with them in their, that, that moment. That's a, that's a, that's a great, great perspective. So being a father, let's talk about what it's like being a, being a father and what vulnerability with your kids and how's that. Uh, it's not easy being a father in uniform all the time's gone. And I, I say all the time, that's not unique. It's if you're a firefighter or a cop or a long haul truck driver there, it's hard being a father. What's your, what's your thoughts on just being a father? Yeah, my, my dad was a good example for me. Like I said, he was gone a lot for work, um, but he made the time count that he had, right? He was yeah. intentional with the time that he had. And I, and I think whether it's being a father or, or even being a husband, because I think my any success I have in being a dad is because my wife is an awesome mom. Right. Uh, my wife, Christy, is, um, you know, is, is phenomenal and by far, like as you as you probably say, right? We we married up. Yeah, Both absolutely. of us did, I yeah. think, right? We married up, and uh, our wives are our better halves. Um, and so she sets me up for success a lot. But she, I, your wife, I don't know her well, but she's always smiling. Yeah, that's the one thing I can always think about when I think about you guys as a couple. I'm like they seem happy all the time, right? It's a great thing. She she brings a lot of joy. Yes, it, we you know we were talking about this earlier, but. Um, it's impossible to balance your life on any wow. given day. Yeah. It, people, people ask us this a lot and we talk about it. How do you find work-life balance in the Ranger Regiment? On any given day, it's impossible to balance your life. You're not going to do it, right? W- work-life balance is out of reach. Uh, but I also believe that this, this work that we do, the, this, uh, th- this thing that we do, this life that we live more than, than a job or a career, it's a lifestyle that we live, yeah. right? It's a calling. Now that makes sense for me because I'm a chaplain. That's easy to say, yeah, it's a calling. God's yeah. called us to this. Um, but I think for Rangers in our formation, it's also a calling. It's a calling. Right. And, and so we, the Army enlists Rangers. We, we, bring, you know, we bring soldiers to RASP and we create Rangers there, but we re-enlist families. Yeah. And that family has to have a shared calling to this life that we live. And for me, I'm, I'm blessed that Christy has a shared calling to this ministry. And something right. Chris, Christy says often, uh, she says, if God's called us to this, he's called us to all of this. Yeah. And she'll say that when something bad happens or, you know, we get the late night phone call or I say, I've got to, you know, I got to, got to fly somewhere to do a funeral or we yeah. got to go take care of somebody or there's a crisis and, you know, something's burning down or there's a marriage retreat that we got to like fix <laughs> yeah. some, like some problem. If she's, if God's called us to this, he's called us to all of this. That means there's great perks to being a ranger. There's some phenomenal parts about the community and about the relationships and about the support networks. Yeah. And it, it's fun wearing a cool uniform yeah. and getting an ops core issued to you, not having to fight for it when you're a chaplain, you know, and like, <laughs> Get, and it, like get getting a hang out of a you know ha, hang out of a C one thirty pulling yeah. duties you know as a jail master, and uh, um, but there's some hard days too. There's there's difficulty Absolutely. and there's hardship and there's time where my schedule doesn't link up yeah. with hers, right? But she says if God's called us to this, He's called us to all of this. So I, I would say for us, it, it's it's balancing your life in the long run, right? And uh, something you've said, you know, is is it's the pursuit of balance. Right. It's striving to balance and, uh, and, and it's having a perspective that goes beyond promotion. I think with yeah. my kids, um, we have to remember that one day we're going to hang this up. Yep. One day the army is going to say no to us. It doesn't matter how much I love the army or how much I love the Ranger Regiment. One day the army is going to say no to us. And, and we have to ask the question, what am I going to have left? Right. What am I going to have left? If it's a, 
a wall full of plaques, you know, and an old uniform in a closet, a drawer full of, of, uh, of ribbons and medals, you know, or, or am I going to have a family yeah. that loves me? Am I, I going to have a, a marriage that's healthy? Am I going to have children who cherish the memories of their childhood? Um, so something that I, I try to remind myself is to, to make a decision for my family that a future me is going to be thankful for. Absolutely. And I, that's something I've said before. And I think I talked about it with Dan Ferder on a future episode, but I said, you know, hopefully your wife's your wife for the rest of your life, but your kids, they're definitely yours for the rest of your life. So this time you got to be intentional about your time and, and make sure you cultivate those relationships with your, with your spouse and your kids. So you probably counsel and talk to a lot of young Rangers that are about to get married or service members. What's one piece of advice you'd give somebody? What's the key to a successful marriage? I know there's a lot, but what's like the one thing that you always kind of hang your hat on if you're talking to somebody before they're going to, Oh take man. That yeah. The, you got, you, you could get me going for, for, for 10 hours. <laughs> yeah. If we jump into relationship advice here, um, I, here's one that, that is counterintuitive that, that I'm, that I would offer you. Um, if Christy and I write a book on relationships someday, you know, yeah. if we ever like get around to doing that, um, our, our, our book is going to be, uh, based on this idea that you, that you shouldn't be honest about how you feel, oh, right? Okay. okay. Here, here's why a lot of times, like we, we have this idea in our culture and society, uh, that we need to be honest about our feelings. Just, just, you know, tell them everything that you feel, be honest about your feelings. And, and for some people, like we think that means, having a license to be a jerk to our spouse, oh, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the excuse that we're, well, I'm just being honest. I'm just right. telling you how I feel. Um, but guilty, but the reality yeah. is like, they don't need to hear all the crazy that goes through our head. Right. Like, yeah. uh, um, you know, there, there are, are uh, mornings that my wife may look at me and think that she, she's married yeah. a wonderful man. There's <laughs> other days she may look at me and she's sure she married an idiot, an idiot. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah. you know, a simple good morning will yeah. do like, yeah. that's okay. Right. Yeah. She doesn't need to hear all the crazy that goes through my head. I yeah. certainly don't need to see everything that comes out into my head out of my mouth. So I would say use some impulse control yeah. in what you say. Yes. I think you're right. I'll, I'll, I'll add on to that. You don't have to solve all your wife's problems. Sometimes she's just trying to vent to you. And I am the worst if Kate's like, man, I wish I had this or was doing this. And I just give her the list. Oh, we'll do this, this, and this. And you can accomplish that. And she's like, I didn't really want you. I didn't need you to solve my problem. I just wanted you to listen to me. And You you nailed it. it. Yeah. So Yeah, she doesn't. She she doesn't. How well can you listen? Just say, hey, oh, I love you. What can I do to help? Or, you know. That sounds really hard. Less is more sometimes. Absolutely. As being the ranger and CEO, I want to fix everything. Absolutely. And sometimes they don't want that. That's right. This is funny. So, um, in uniform, let's go back a little bit here. What's the, what's been your most challenging day since you've worn that, uh, U S army mm-hmm. that put that U S army on every day? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's a hard question. Cause I think we've had a lot. Um, but what's interesting about a chaplain's like hardest day in uniform, uh, is they weren't really about me. Right. Right. My, my hardest day in uniform, um, was a moment where I was bearing witness to someone else's pain and hardship. And so we have to remind ourselves of that. We have to create boundaries for ourselves. Yeah. We have to try to remove as much of me as I can from the situation so that yeah. I can be present for someone else. Um, so in most of these examples, you know, I, I was just a witness. I was just there. Um, I, I, lots of stories, lots of examples. Some, some are personal, some are difficult, 
some some could probably be triangulated back to quite a few of your listeners you know and, <laughs> right, uh, you know confidentiality i think is yeah. is is a vital aspect of what we do is yeah. is chaplains because you know as rangers chaplains like people got to know they can come and share their stories right. with us and um they won't leave us i mean we we know where all the bodies are buried you know so yeah. so uh um I've had a lot of tough days and late calls at home, you know, whether a vehicle crash, a suicide, a training accident, a combat death, right? Those are all hard days. Casualty notifications, those were those were tough duties where you're walking in to deliver the worst news of somebody's life. You know, you get the phone call that you got to show up to the casualty assistance center with your ASUs and, yeah. you know, letting a young mom with two babies and diapers know that their dad isn't coming home. Those yeah. are hard days. Yeah. Um, caring for those who are about to, to leave this life you know, is probably the hardest thing uh, to do. And uh, it, one story that that was my first combat loss that probably is representative and typical of, of many, many more that would come. Um, but my first weeks in Afghanistan, I was uh, down at Fab Sharana. I don't know if you ever oh, were ever yeah, at Sharana. I spent some time at my Sharana. Yeah. <laughs> so we were, we were uh, my battalion headquarters was based out of Sharana. I spent most of the time on the road throughout Pactica and uh, some some parts of coast and uh, that rotation. And, and uh, uh, again, a typical experience like this runner from the jock, right? Yeah. The RTO comes and finds the chaplain, right? Finds me wherever I was, the gym, the defect, something, you know, back from battlefield circulation. And, and uh, I think it was at my, my little office B hut, you know, plywood yeah. hut that we, my computer was set up in and, and he said, Hey, sir, they need you in the talk, they need you in the talk. Right. And so, uh, you, you go in and you, you, you in the, the room is kind of silent. It's quiet. Like people are doing their job. They're watching the screens. There's ISR overhead. They're, they're working a situation. You can tell they're working a, a medevac. Um, and, uh, you know, the J three comes over the S three at the, you know, for a conventional battalion comes over and says, yeah, it's not looking good. And uh, in this situation, our distro platoon um, from this conventional deployment was uh, conducting a resupply mission between Sharana and one of the district centers. And uh, we hadn't been there very long. You know, they're still figuring out the the AO and um, a pretty typical scenario. But they rolled through a complex ambush. You know, they hit an IED that disabled the the vehicle and uh, they're sitting in the kill zone and RPG hits the the, uh, truck commander's door, the TC's door. Um, th- this predated the time we had like the bar armor and the netting oh, yeah. on, on the yeah. on, on the vehicles, and that that probably could have changed the outcome that day. And but on the other side of that door, that RG thirty one was a, a twenty one year old young man from Oklahoma, you know, and I'd gotten to know him in the the months leading up to that deployment. And um, sharp kid, fantastic work ethic, huge vision for life, and uh, he'd, he'd married his sweetheart just weeks oh. before we deployed. You know, in that RPG seven, um, when it, when it hits that piece of metal, you know that it becomes a shape charge, yeah. right? And it, it, uh, it shoots a molten jet of copper right right through the, the that uh, um, that armor, and uh, you know, cut right through that young man, and uh, causing a pretty pretty uh, brutal injury and evisceration. And um, you know, so they they pushed through the kill zone. They called for the medevac. Uh, and, and after getting the update, I remember going to the, the forward surgical team that was uh, down the hill, um, you know, from where our, oh, yeah. our old compound yeah. was, you know, and, uh, and, and there was that little HLZ pad right there for the, the medevac birds. And I remember the, the sound of that HA-60 coming in, right? You can remember the, the oh, those yeah. rotor, rotor blades as they Absolutely. come in in pairs. And, uh, and, and you, I mean, you could just hear the womp of those rotors, right? And, the, and, and as they land and as they bring them off and the FST kind of turns into frantic uh, frantic chaos, you know, and, and as a chaplain in those like tight, especially a tight clinical environment, like you got to kind of own your space, right? You got to be present, but not in the way, you know? And so I, 
you know, but he stood, stood near, stood by watching, hopefully, you know, just praying for a miracle. And, and but after some time, you know, 15 minutes, the, the lead surgeon, like just everyone working together, working in tandem, but put it, uh, the appearance of chaos of them trying to care for this person, the, the lead surgeon just puts his hands up, right? And he looks around the room and he says, is there anyone here who thinks there's anything else that we can do? Oh, wow. You know, and the room just goes silence. Yeah. So he, he turns to me, right? He looks to me and he, and, and he said, chaplain, it's all you. Right. Cause oh, like, he's like, a, he's like, we're like, we're, we're done here, you know? And, uh, um, and so we, so we prayed, you know, yeah. we, we prayed according to the, the tenets of that young man's faith and we committed him in God's hands. And, uh, and, and then from there we, we went to meet the platoon cause they still had to roll back in from the wire and they didn't know if he oh, made, yeah. cause he was, he was still verbal when he left. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, he was still talking. And uh, um, with with that type of injury, right, there was going to yeah. be some significant hemorrhage, but he was still uh, alive. And so, the, so we we met with that platoon as they came in and had to deliver uh, that news. And you could see also the hope in their eyes that they that he'd made it, right? Wanting to know how he was, but delivering that news and then caring for them as they went in to say their goodbyes, right? There, yeah. the, there was more grief with that one, right? That was one. Of, that was my my very first, first. combat loss, but. Um, many more would follow. Some would be harder. Some would some would be messier. Some would some would be a lot more complex, right? But all all of those are, are sacred. Yeah, yeah. So we we say their names every day. Yeah, that's right. You got to say their name there every day, and they will not be forgotten. Uh, that's uh, and I mean that's the unique part of your position, right? Anytime those we lose somebody, either training or combat or off duty, the chaplain's always part of that conversation at some point. So. Um, that's just, uh, I feel for you. We've been there and, uh, and so there's another side there, right? You lose the, the soldier dies, the ranger passes away, and then you have this family that's left behind and, uh, gold star families are a huge part of any organization. Um, uh, what, and you deal a lot with the gold star families, whether it's, you know, keeping them update on events that are coming up or reaching out to them or they're reaching out to you. What have you learned from the gold star family units yeah. and brothers and sisters and, and moms and dads over the years? You know, since 1974, 143 Rangers have laid down their lives in training and in combat. Um, I, I think as an organization, we have shouldered more than our share of the task when we, when we consider those, those losses for their country, you know, and, um, and, and that's been really one of the greatest privileges of this job, you know, is to, to care for these families. Yeah. As we said, nurse of the living, care for the wounded, but honor the fallen. So caring for Gold Star families is one of the ways that we honor our fallen. Um, and, I, and I think it's actually unique to the Ranger Regiment. I think, unfortunately, just because of the, the nature of the Army and the turnover of leaders and the, the turnover of NCOs and conventional units, it's very hard for them to maintain connections yeah. with their fallen because yeah, there's, there's no one that's left around that knows them. Um, but with w those 143 Rangers, despite the years, um, the, the Ranger Regiment maintains a relationship. They maintain a contact. They, they, they become a part of our organizational family. You know, no, and of those 143, like I've known some of them personally, right. we, I've, I've buried them, but, um, but I've had the, the privilege to know many of those families, um, 
for for the ones that I, I wasn't here for, you know, I, yeah. we've gotten to know their families and the regiment's special because we know these families and most units don't, but it's really ingrained in the culture of the Ranger regiment. The, the idea, you know, of the airborne Ranger in the sky, right? You know, this idea that uh, we can teach our young Rangers what sacrifice means by getting them to learn the stories of those who have sacrificed when, when we deploy to combat, right? Before we deploy, we, we pull out, um, we pull out those wristbands, right? And, and, and we entrust them to a ranger to carry the, that wristband into combat, that KIA Absolutely. bracelet. Yeah. Um, and, and in so doing, we are carrying that person with us to combat. They are also accompanying us. We, we take their memories with us. And so this idea of the airborne ranger in the sky is really ingrained into the culture of the organization. And, and uh, the sacrifice doesn't just belong to their families. It, it, it's carried by their fam- by the ranger, but it, it's carried by their families, right? That cost is high. These few, few people know that what it feels like to, to lose a, a, a husband or a, a, a son or a daughter, you know, laid down their lives in service to their nation. But uh, our gold star families in the range regiment, they are incredible examples of grace and strength. I think that's what I've learned from them, yeah. you know, is from, from their grief and from their sorrow, they, they find hope they find meaning and they serve as a source of inspiration. Colonel Brown's often said that the current RCO has said that our gold star families are national treasures, yes. right? They, they know the true cost of freedom. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's something that we, we can't lose sight of. And it's great that we have the people like you to make sure that we, as an organization don't lose sight. Cause sometimes we get bogged down with kind of the tyranny of the now and, yeah, and uh, it's good to always recenter and remind us when we have somebody visiting or when somebody's coming by and that, and just keep those relationships. And again, it's just speaking their name every day of their, of their loved one that they lost. So you're coming out, you're, you're leaving the 75th. So I am. Yeah. You've been here for a minute. Um, are you ready to leave? Has it has it sunk in at all that you're that you're leaving? What? That that's the hard part about being an officer here. I think right yeah. is that everybody's got to leave, yeah. right? Eventually, got to move on and do something else. And uh, and so, um, I it, you know I certainly would have stayed here forever if that was an option that was on the table. So it, it's hard to leave your tribe. Yeah, it's hard to leave the the people that you've loved and that you've served with um, for so long. But um, but I'm mainly grateful for the opportunity that we've had to have been here. Yeah, what's uh, what's What's one of your key takeaways from the regiment? What what are you gonna? You know, it's you're gonna carry it with you, military life and post military life. Yeah, hmm. I I think we need to. One thing I'll take with me, you know, is remember who you are. Remember who you are, and and remember whose you are. Um, you know, as we think about the the Ranger Regiment in the future, there's an ongoing debate about what that will look like right. and what we need to be. And, uh, and, and we're having some great discussions, right? Fantastic operating concepts that are being published. Um, but at the end of the day, like we, we remember what our charter is and why we exist yeah. uh, to make the army better, right? That we, we serve as examples to others. And, uh, and when we got to live that out, you know, yeah. something I appreciate that the old NCOs, the old range NCOs probably, probably like you, yeah. but like young guys yep. need to get also the old message. We used to often say that you, you don't wear the scroll you bear the scroll, right? right? Yeah. You don't wear the scroll, you bear the scroll. And part of that's because you don't own it. 
Right. It doesn't belong to you. That's right. You're a steward of this thing, you yeah. know, for a very short amount of time. Uh, you're an interim, you know, as we'd say in ministry, you're yeah. the interim pastor. You don't get to be there forever, you That's know? Right. And so, so we are only stewards. We get to take care of it for a short amount of time. And we remember what this thing means. When you look at that ranger school, when you look at that tambourine, when you look at the DUI, you remember that it has meaning far greater than just to yes. the ranger regiment. Yeah. And so even the one that's on your right, right shoulder, you got to take care of that yeah, thing. Absolutely. You can't dust it up. Yeah. You know, and, and that, that's significant to me. Yeah. The, you know, I was, uh, we were, we were talking before, but, um, a few years ago, you know, when I was at CGSE, I, I got into this like scholars program that basically we just did a bunch of archival research and I, I read a, wrote a bunch of things nobody will ever read on like defense support of civil authorities <laughs> and early 20th century case studies um, but one, one trip we were up at uh, Carlisle Barracks where the war college is and there's a big archive there and in it, at AHEC at this archive they've got all of the uh records of all the chiefs of staff of the u.s army right and so i had some extra time and i was done with my um my work for the day and so we i asked if i could pull general abrams um papers you know and, and take a look and one of the archivists there was very very familiar they actually had him out because they were doing some work for general milley that involved some of this and so they, they had some of it out and they were showing me some of his papers what i was hoping is i was going to find like the document where he like hand wrote the yeah. charter you know yeah and um, what i found is that he wasn't an awesome note taker he just kind of like <laughs> scribbled stuff you know on the yeah. bottoms of papers but abe abrams is an interesting guy yeah. he's an interesting guy because what we have to acknowledge is like this guy wasn't like an airborne ranger right right this guy was kind of an overweight tanker uh -huh. you know he's like an armor officer with strappy boots yeah. you know that yeah. was a little like on the on the port Lear side <laughs> in the later times of life right and he was kind of like a middle of the road officer at west point like graduating like the you know bottom half of his class but world war ii gave him opportunity and he went on to be a fantastic armor officer in fact uh uh Patton, you know who's pretty big on himself yeah. said that abrams was his peer when it came to tank officers oh, wow. uh, just as a you know as a as a That's colonel yeah it's from, from Patton, absolutely he says that abrams the bet he said he was his uh, there was one other guy who was better and he said it was abe abrams right um, but abrams goes on um to work on a bunch of people's staffs over the years korean war he was a staff officer um worked on a bunch of people's staffs but he was a good officer and he was a good leader and he inherits Vietnam from Westmoreland. And he, and he gets to Vietnam at the height of our involvement, but it's like, it's a train wreck. Stuff is burning down around him. He inherits the My Lai Massacre. Yeah. And, 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 and there's one thing that's clear about Abrams is that he loved the army. He absolutely loved the U.S. Army. He loved its people. He loved what it did. And, and here you, you find Abe Abrams at this point where he'd, he'd been... Uh, in the army at the height of its national popularity, you know, of, yeah. of its credibility and trust to the American people. And, and then here he is inheriting Vietnam and its failed strategies what and a, having to figure this mess out. What and, a paradigm shift for him. Absolutely. And get us out of there, right? right. And and and, tr and try not to abandon everything that had been done, like try to give more time to the strategies that, that have been applied, but also um, f figure some new stuff out and how to get us out, yeah. right? And so he he got you know drew down forces from the height of our involvement um to uh, uh um to almost out of the country um and, and then from there he leaves vietnam and he replaces westmoreland again as the chief of staff of the army and now he's told like hey th hey thanks for coming but you also need to build an all-volunteer force no more draft oh, so yeah. figure that out yeah good right luck. yeah good luck right and so what, what's in abram's files are these like daily briefs that he used to get on like just the disaster of the army right oh, yeah. just like drugs in the barracks and stuttgart you know 
criminal activity. If you think like the Fort Hood yeah. stuff is difficult, yeah. like go coming back out, to, yeah, coming out of Vietnam, it was ugly. Absolutely, yeah. you know, back to the, you hear the stories of officers afraid to go in the barracks absolutely, because of like yeah. criminal activity. Like that's what he's dealing with, and he's trying to build an all volunteer force, and he's lost the trust of the American people. And I think through this, like he'd experienced, you know, injury, like he was yeah. hurt by what he's watching, and he knows that he's the steward of the army. And and at the bottom of one of these sheets of paper where they're talking about this just disastrous, like, you know, criminal activity in the army and lack of discipline. He, he wrote like Rangers just, and, and maybe that was the moment. Maybe it wasn't. And you maybe saw it, this. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. in there. It's in a hex files. Right. And so it, it, uh, maybe that was the moment or maybe it was a part of a discussion. Right. But, but somewhere in there, he has this idea. Uh, and, and we have to acknowledge like what, what Abe Abrams wasn't doing was trying to establish special operations raid force, right? Yeah. Right. That, that's not the point. He just wanted some discipline. He, he wanted an example to the rest of the army. He wanted someone for everybody to look at, to serve in his example of who we should be and what we should all strive to be. Right. And so he establishes this idea or this charter for a ranger battalion, that the battalion to be a light an elite light and most proficient infantry in the world that can do things with its hands and weapons better than anyone. A battalion that contains no hoodlums and brigands. Right. And if it's formed of such persons, it'll be disbanded. And he said, wherever it goes, it must be apparent that it's the best. Right. And that, that is the point. I think that's the crux that it's got to be the best because it's got to mean something to everyone else in the army. And, and you know, there, there's also some like narrative that, that says that it was that the idea for the creed also came from Abrams. I certainly Sergeant Major Gentry um, is responsible for putting right. it together as the author. Um, but it was Abrams who had an idea for a, a vision for a Ranger Creed. In fact, when General Dupuy, who's the father of, of Tradoc, came down to Fort Benning to talk to Casey Lure, who was the first 175 commander, yeah. and, and and kind of pitched the idea. You know, he, he told them, Abe wants you to create a creed, and it's going to serve as a guiding light for Rangers to train and fight and live by. And that's powerful, right? Absolutely. Because that that, that creed, it, it ain't a poem, as General McChrystal <laughs> used to say, right? It yeah. ain't a poem, right? That, that means something to us. Sometimes it's inspirational. Right. Sometimes it inspires me. Sometimes it's aspirational. It challenges me to live up right. to something. But but if if nothing else, it is a confession. Yeah, it's a symbol of who we are as rangers, and our culture is embodied by it. So we in the future, I think we need to be what our nation needs us to be. But we, we need to be an example. Right. We need to be an agent of change that brings other people up. Absolutely. I think that's that's great. That's a, that's a great history lesson there. I didn't know all of that. That's awesome. If you if you if you just go a little bit the extra mile, you can find out some amazing things about you know, where we came from as an organization and just people in general. So let's talk about where you came from, right? If we could go back all the way to Lieutenant Alveson, right? And this is no, this is just as if you're talking to yourself, but to any, you know, new coming into the army chaplain, what advice would you give them to set them up for success? If I could go back and give myself advice, what would that be? I think, uh, uh, the first one I would say is that uh, stupid haircuts don't actually make you squared away, yeah. right? You know, I, I had some terrible haircuts. <laughs> like if you look at my first pictures of my years of the army, like terrible, terrible high tights. In fact, that's that's one uh, one thing I, I think that we gave the army as an organization that like what were we thinking? You know, was yeah. the high and tight? You yeah. know, and then we got rid of it as a big joke on everybody else. You know, <laughs> uh, but uh, I, what I would actually say I think is that it, it'll buff. Right. That's the advice. Look it in the rearview mirror. Like it'll buff. Now, w whatever you were worried about at the time, whatever you thought was on fire, like it, it ain't that bad, 
right? It, it'll buff. It, yeah. It's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, and I think that we, we spend so much time worrying about things that don't ever happen. And there was a, you know, an, an author and a Holocaust survivor named Corey Ten Boom. And she said, worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It empties today of its strength. Yeah. Wow. And, and, uh, and, and I think that we spend time worrying about things that we don't need to worry about, Absolutely. you know, and, and there's so many examples that I've had over the years of, of leaders in this organization. Like I said, they're just like calm under pressure, yeah. you know, like, uh, you had Josh Jacobs oh, on, yeah. on, um, the, the podcast not long ago. And, and like, listen, man, when, when there's a gunfight like that guy, there's nobody you want to be in the middle of a firefight <laughs> with right. than Josh Jacobs. Like he is as calm as can be like, you, you hear him on the net and there's like machine guns going off in the background, like stuff is exploding. And, and, and you would think like, he's just sipping, sipping a cup of coffee at Starbucks, <laughs> like, right. uh, you know, in the middle of all this, right. Just no excitement like that. Whatever it is that you're worried about, like it's going to buff out. Right. It's going to be okay. Yeah. We're going to get through this. Oh man. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on here. Um, I, and I, I think it may, sometimes it might be more comfortable, but thank you for your service, not only to, you know, the regiment, our nation, you know, our gold star families. Um, you've been an integral part of the 75th for the last, how many years? What's your, what's your total year count? Six years in the Ranger regiment, four years at 175 yeah. and then the last yeah, two years so, here. Yeah. Um, uh, we, everybody knows you. Everybody loves you. Your family, we're going to miss you. I wish you the best of luck in your future journeys. And for all of you out there listening, be sure to uh, like, share, comment, and subscribe. And uh, be sure to give us your feedback. And uh, again, I just thank you. And uh, good luck in the, in the next phase. Thanks, Yuma. We appreciate it. <laughs>